I've got my vaccination booked now. You mother flipper. I need to do that this evening, actually. Yeah, um, I'm booked in 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 uh, for the 1st of July, which seemed to be the first opportunity that they had available. So you need to get in and do it. Fucking hell, I really do. But it is a good sign that that was the earliest that they had, in a way, because it just goes to show that everybody is booking an appointment. As they should be. Yeah, but that's not the story that the media tell, is it? I was watching a breakfast, BBC Breakfast, the other day, and they were saying, no young people want to be vaccinated, that they all think it's pointless. And I said, like, do they? I'm a young person, and I, I don't... I don't know anyone with that opinion. No, me neither. But they were they were acting like we were all, like, really rogue, and none of us wanted to be vaccinated because we thought we were too hard. I was like, what are you talking about? Of course we want to be vaccinated against a fatal illness. Yes, one of the best educated generations. <laughs> like, of course we want to be vaccinated. We know it works. <laughs> Today, um, I had a bit of a... I've had a bit of a funny one. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I woke up this morning, and I've never done this before in my whole life, but I woke up and I put my cereal in my mug. <laughs> like... Oh my goodness me. I was somewhere else entirely. I have never put my granola in my cup of tea before, but I did this morning. Um, so that was a funny moment. And um, I just had another funny moment, actually. I think I'm going a bit senile because I was late to this um, call by about five minutes. But the annoying thing was, I was on time. Um, so I came down here at uh, 6.40 and I sat down, hooked my laptop up, flipped my lid of my laptop open and spilt my tea all over my laptop and my desk so I had to get a tea towel mop it all up and on my way back into the house I saw a kiwi fruit in the garden and it turns out on my way down I dropped a kiwi on the floor and not even realised I dropped it until I then saw it on the floor and went hang on a second <laughs> I must have dropped that five minutes ago and not re- I I don't know what's going on with me today mate you're having a nightmare day aren't you yeah it's such do you ever have you ever dropped something and sort of gone sort of quarter of a mile and looked back and gone shit I dropped it all the way back there a quarter of no I've I've got I've I've dropped socks when I've been bringing my my laundry back into my room mm, yeah that's acceptable I think that's yeah but normally I pick them up again yeah and you know you've dropped them usually or do you yeah yeah. Well, usually, yeah, I, I like hang, I, I hang on to them, and I'm walking along the corridor, and then I just notice one dropping out, and I go, ah, piss. Yeah. What? Were you... I'm not going to pick that up right now. I think last week's episode just felt like a very long mic test to me. But then about you. Last week was just a very long episode in general. Yeah. I think it's our longest yet because I, I was editing it, and I sort of. I don't mind when things get too long normally anyway. It's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a life motto, I think. <laughs> I don't mind things being too long. And um, do you um, mind being do you mind things being too short either? Um well, I mean personally, I don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, I'm such a disappointment. No. Oh. Um in more ways than one. No! Stop. <laughs> Hello. 
anyone listening, welcome to Connecting Vague Dots with me, um, Mad Dog, Seth Cox, and my good friend, Small Dog, Jay Pennells. You were never called Mad Dog. Oh, all the time. That's the thing. You, No one called you Mad Dog. They started to. No, they didn't. No, it, you came into school one day and went, I've picked a nickname for myself. I'm Mad Dog. And everybody looked at you like you were insane. <laughs> no one called you Mad Dog. And I think the only person who ever called you Mad Dog was Ella. And that was only just, like, twice to to soothe your raging ego. I, I remember trying to get Dan Elson involved and saying, you can be um, a dog as well. You can be Big Dog. And I'll be Mad Dog. And that that happened for about a week. Dan also once made me call him, he said I really want to be called Danny, and I tried to make everyone catch on by calling him Danny in front of all his friends but no one no one really clocked, so that never happened. So it's just Dan to this day. He's not a Danny. He's not a, he's not a Danny boy. No, no, no. No, Danny, you know you know Danny from, from Kingdom. Yeah, the, the um, hacker. I think he was nicknamed um, School Shooter at one point because he looked like <laughs> a school shooter. <laughs> Kids can be cool. We definitely did nickname him that because he looked a bit. Because one day he did basically come in dressed as the Unabomber. Yeah, he had like very slicked black back hair and um, sort of small rectangular glasses and he was dressed in quite dark clothing. And did he have a briefcase as well? I feel like maybe he had. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Okay, no, he, fine. He, was, he wasn't that bad. No. Um, yeah, who, who'd bring a briefcase to school? My goodness. Oh, yes, I did that. Yeah, you I did. <laughs> I, did, I did that in year seven because my bag broke and in the interim ter- period before I got a new one, I brought a briefcase in. And so I was immediately nicknamed Briefcase Wanker. Yeah. And I didn't realise why I was named Briefcase Wanker, apart from just Briefcase Wanker, for for a few years, because I didn't watch The Inbetweeners until I was, like, 17. Mm. And then and then it clocked, you understood. And then, and then I went, oh, that's where everyone got it from. Yeah. Fine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't care. No. I never cared. I'm just wondering if you found it more funny in retrospect than you did in the moment. No, I just I I was actually more disappointed because it showed such a lack of um, <laughs> creativity that they had to get it from a TV show about secondary school pupils getting nicknamed briefcase wanker. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to do your bit on the podcast, and we'll quickly recap the um, epic that was the last episode. Yes, absolutely, and I'm going to do this in the style of you. Which doesn't mean I'm going to say it any different. It just means I'm going to look at my microphone <laughs> as though it was a camera whilst I do it. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, I didn't even realise I did that, but there we go. Yeah, you do it all the fucking time. <laughs> it's brilliant. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Sorry, I'll try again. All right. Hello, readers. Today on the podcast, me and Seth have four items from the realms of film and TV, music and books. And sometimes plays as well when we get bored. Now, three of these things are interlinked in some way, shape or form. Some of them are good links and some of them are dogs. Now, it's up to the job of the other people in the call to identify what the link is. And also, the odd one out. We also get points for revisiting the things that were suggested on the previous week's podcast. So, Seth, 
did you revisit any of the things that I talked about last week? Hello, Jay Panos. That was brilliantly done. You should do it more um, like me in the future, um, I think. Or just stare at my microphone. Yeah, it really did bits, biscuits. actually. Uh, hmm? Yeah, it, it worked for you. Keep doing that. Okay. Um, right. Last week. Well, let's let's talk about last week. Last week, you discussed the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> you you really threw me off with how you pronounced disgust there, because it sounded like disgust. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You um, disgust. Oh, they do sound very similar. How do I? They sound identical. Don't how do they? I differentiate? You disgust, maybe. Yes. You discussed the Queen's Gambit, um, the TV series, which I didn't rewatch for obvious reasons. That it's a series, and who has time to rewatch the series in a week? I did not listen to Justice Justin Bieber because you did not speak very highly of it. I did not revisit Mostly Harmless, the fifth in the Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy, because I'd have to probably revisit them all just to have a quick recap. And I did not read the lengthy American Gods. Neil Gaiman. So no no points for me, unfortunately. But then again, I don't think there was much wiggle room or much opportunity for me to get points there, really. I mean, I would have given you a point if you'd watched one episode of Queen's Gambit. Mm, so Okay, fair enough. But but I mean, e- even still, that's that's understandable that you that you didn't go to any of those things. Similarly, I didn't watch Casino Royale or Shame, and I certainly did not read Great Expectations. And I didn't watch Into the Spider-Verse either, even though I do want to. A- again, I've, w- I've watched it before, but I want to watch it again, and I just didn't. I didn't get around to it. Well, I'm happy that you didn't, because we are obviously now neck and neck. In- Level pegging. Le- <laughs> Level pegging. Why is that funny? It's not. I just haven't heard level pegging before, or if I have, I've ne- I was never old enough to... Um... Understand the other meaning of the word pegging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it took me a while. That's to... that's something I've only encountered in the last like year or two, mm. which is that I played cribbage um, since I was about fifteen, sixteen, uh, with with my mate Will. We we learnt it on on a holiday um, because of my stepdad. He basically taught it to us, and that's where the term comes from. Because you peg up points. In the game of cribbage, and when you're level pegging, it means you're on equal points, and that's where the phrase comes from. Sure, sure. What? And it wasn't until about two or three years later that I understood that pegging was a was a was a sex thing. What the fuck is cribbage? Cribbage. It's a card game where you make fifteens and pairs. Hmm. Okay. It's a really good game. Huh. We'll have to play that sometime. I love new card games. Yeah. The annoying thing about card games is everyone calls card games by different things. So, like, they say, do you want to play bridge? And you go, yeah, I'd love to play bridge. And then they come out with a game that's kind of a hybrid between Uno and Whist. And no one really knows. Everyone has their own way of playing, like, card games. And they have their own names for those card games. I just can't keep track of them all. It's just a bit too much. Some 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 card games are very very like dictated by house rules, mm. which it which is quite frustrating when you've never used those house rules, when you just go oh yeah I'm great at this game oh not the version you're playing what the hell what are we doing yeah we need to standardise card games I think that'd be nice 
I think people have standardised card games. I think they also very quickly um, get bored of the standards and so adopt house rules and then just use them instead. Yeah. I also think, think we should teach card games in school. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You know, in like PSHE? Mm. Teach card games. Yeah, get rid of PSHE, just... In general, and learning to learn, and all those wishy washy. <laughs> learning to learning learn. Learning to is learn. So stupid. For goodness, the subject name alone. Learning to learn. My. How how do we do that? You have to learn. How do you learn? You have to learn to learn first. Yeah, but how do we learn to learn? Well, you have to learn to learn to learn. It's a closed loop. Okay, you can't. You can't learn to it's learn. An in- yeah, it's not a closed loop. It's an infinite. It's loop. an infinite loop. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The only thing I remember from Learning to Learn was watching There's Only One Jimmy Grimble for no apparent reason. Oh, God, that was awful, awful film. It was god-awful, wasn't it? And for some reason... Why, why did they put us... Why did they make us watch that? It's about bullying. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay, no, that makes sense now. I'd, I'd forgotten that. I thought it was just about football. Which it <laughs> mostly is. No, is he gets bullied for being... Why does he get bullied? <laughs> Um, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a he's a bit of a shrimp. Is it something about his shoes? No, cause he cause he got magic shoes, didn't he? Didn't Speaking he of films, I have a very um, film heavy list today. Do you indeed? Yeah, they're all films. Okay, my list is actually basically the same in structure to last week's. Actually, last week's was one TV series, one album, and two books. Whereas this week is. One TV series, one album, and two films. So no books. So it's a bit more manageable. All right. Um, why don't you run off yours first, and I'll write them down. Okay. The first one I've got for you is The Producers. Hmm. Yeah. I've heard of this. That's good. I'm, I'm pleased for you. Thank you. <laughs> the second thing I've got is... The Exorcist. Okay. Yes. I've heard of this as well. Well, that's very good. Yeah. What's your next it's one? It's quite well known. Very so. well known. Yeah. Yes. The third thing I've got for you is Good Omens. Yeah, I know this one quite well. Yeah. Is it the series good. or the book? Yeah, the series. The series, right, lovely. Thank you. Yeah, and what the have we last, The last thing that I've got for you is Tubular Bells. By Mike Oldfield. Mike Oldfield. Yeah. Have you heard of this? I think we had it on maybe the first episode ever. I think we had it on, on the one with Ella, possibly. That was the fourth one. The one with Ella Foot. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I don't remember. Very possibly. Anyway... Um, <laughs> oh, I think I have talked about it before. I still haven't listened to it. Um, it so was it was a it was a whole year ago, so I think I think I get a pass on on repeating myself. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Plus, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's I'm a different show. That. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So the producers is um, it's a film by someone famous, isn't it? It's a Ford Coppola one, is it? No, it's um, Mel Brooks. Oh, okay. No, I don't know who that is. And The Exorcist is a classic horror film, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Okay. 
And good MSG for the bird. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, nothing's jumping out at me right now, but I don't know much about them. Okay, what's what's your list then, Seth? So, first on my list is The Age of Innocence. Ooh, that's... Okay, right. This That's ringing a bell, but not not a very specific bell. Yeah, I think it would ring a bell with you, yeah. Okay, um, the next one is The Fly. Lovely. Um, um, old... Um, um, our good old favourite of Jeff Goldblum. Yes. Hi, I'm Jeff Goldblum. Um, wow. Wow, that's just amazing. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good, right? Oh, hey, uh, it's I'm Jeff Goldblum. What are we all uh, doing today? Nope, terrible. Okay. Um, my next pick is Ed Wood. Ah... Okay, I've heard of this. Mm-hmm. And my final pick of the day is The Lovely Bones. Okay. I The Lovely Bones is a very interesting thing. Is that the film or the book? The film. They're all films today. Okay. Right. Well, now, I like the look of your list, I'll be honest. Thank you. That's it. It's a nice-looking list. Thanks. Um, yours is all right as well. All right. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm interested to talk about the producers and the Exorcist, so I think those will be the two I go to first. Okay. Sure. Should we Should we talk about them then? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the producers because I feel like it's a film that's talked about a lot, but at the same time seen very little. Okay. Well, a bit like the conversation. The conversation. What is in the film? The conversation. Yeah. I've heard of the conversation. I think it was referenced in a community episode. Probably was. It's one of those apparently really good films, but then it just looks really boring, so no one ever watches it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do we talk about first? The exorcist or producers? You said producers, right? Producers, please, yeah. Okay. The Producers is a 1967 Mel Brooks film. No, 1969, I think. Beg your pardon. The musical came out in 1967, which is also Mel Brooks. And he has been involved in some way, shape or form with every single adaptation of The Producers. Which Hmm. is impressive, considering it's... I think it is the longest-running Broadway musical... Um, and then there was a 2005 film adaptation with the Broadway cast of the ta- of that period, of which includes, what's his name from What's It Called? Ferris Bueller. Um, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, him. Yeah, Gene Wilder, the brilliant, brilliant comedian, um, was in the original film. It's really funny. They basically are trying to stage a flop Broadway musical in order to get some tax evasion money type stuff. So they put on the musical of Springtime for Hitler, (laughs) which was written by an ex-Nazi, or a a continuing Nazi in, in, in New York... And they put on this play, and they know that it's going to be a huge flop. 
and then they are completely confounded when it turns out that it's a hit <laughs> and people love it because it's so straight faced that it's they're, they're so openly taking the piss out of the Nazis in a thing that isn't taking the piss out of the Nazis and it's so like circular and confusing and and that's something I love about Mel Brooks is his his way of tackling satire is so funny as a I think as a as a practicing Jew he he tackles it in a in such a fascinating way in such a very very smart way as well I love it it's it's a classic but it's really good and he also made blazing saddles which uh, is a ta- is is about a a what it's a, like a set in the wild west in a town where a black sheriff a black man becomes the sheriff so it's it's still set in the wild west so there's a lot of hard n words with hard r's dropping from from white actors and they it's set, it's it was made in like the mid 70s i think and it's so funny <laughs> Gene Wilder's in it as well, and I can't remember the the guy's name who plays the lead, um, the the sheriff, but he's so fantastic in it, and the comedy is so on point mm. in every scene of it. Oh, it's packed, it's packed to the brim with with brilliant satire. It's great. He kind of this um, Mel Brooks guy kind of sounds like he likes to um, tread on glass a bit. Um, it's. Is it kind of bore? Are there any moments in either the producers or um, Blazing Saddles where you kind of go, okay? Is that or is it all just? If it was, if it was handled by anyone less skilled, mm. it would be full of those moments. Okay. I think you probably heard the bike going past there. Anyway, yeah. there's. No, it's it's not full of those moments. Although if it was handled with with less precision, it would be full of them. Yeah. Ooh. So so it's great. It's I love it. That does sound really good. I I kind of want to watch the producers now because that does sound stupidly funny and just kind of right up my street. Is it? Is it, it is. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's truly ridiculous. And the 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 big number of springtime for Hitler is. It's glorious. Uh, it's just and gloriously silly. The best name of a musical ever. Springtime for Hitler. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, no, that does sound super fun. Um, interesting. There's a lot to um, unpack there, so I'm not gonna try stab in the dark yet. Um, no, but I think it's probably got something to do with. Um, oh God, I haven't written it down. Oh yes, I have. Someone who's heavily involved in all subsequent adaptations is what I'm thinking only from okay. Good Omens and the producers so far but that's a link I think I spotted there but I might be wrong um, anyway yeah that's where I'm at okay that's fair enough what do you want to talk about next um, are we doing all your lists and all my lists that I usually do I've forgotten yeah I think we normally do don't we yeah okay well then let's let's definitely do The Exorcist okay so The Exorcist is a 1972 film 
from my knowledge, directed by William Friedkin, based on the novel by William Peter Blatty. I think that's that's the right name. Yes, yes, that is. Mm. Yes, and um, the screenplay was written 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 <laughs> by by Blatty as well. So he he was by who? certainly in, William Peter Blatty, I uh, believe. Yeah, so the guy who wrote the novel also wrote the screenplay. The the guy who wrote the novel wrote the screenplay, yeah. Fab, um, fab, fab. It's, it's a seminal classic horror that I haven't watched. I don't really get on that well with horror, to be honest. It depends on the horror film. Can you think of any horror films that you do get on with? Um, I really like Alien. Okay, yeah. Good. Alien's really good, and I. What What about the Ariasta ones? Have you seen Hereditary or Midsummer or um, some of the A twenty four ones? No, I do want. No, I do want to watch Midsummer. Yeah. But I haven't got around to it yet. Um, I'm less bothered by Hereditary, to be honest. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I mean, doesn't yeah. doesn't sound that interesting. It, I mean, I've heard how I've heard everyone raving about it, ra- bleh, raving <laughs> about it. And I don't really care. So, but yeah, it exorcists. I think to this day, when you apply inflation, it's the highest grossing horror film of all time. <laughs> Blimey. Okay, cool, cool. When when you when you apply inflation to it. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's said to be really good. Um, some some incredible moments, and just as a as a piece of filmmaking, I've heard that it's phenomenal. I might I might even watch it myself at some point. There's not you don't get a point for that, by the way. I'd get a point for that. You do not get a point for watching something later that you talked about on the podcast. I, I don't want to set that precedent. What I mean, that's unfair. <laughs> uh, well, if you do watch it. We can talk about it a bit next time. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, no, I, it's been on my list for a while as well. I, I have been wanting to get around a bit. <laughs> you, you're fucking. Uh, I'm fucking what? <laughs> it's not a lot. I'll tell you that tongue much. Tongue-tiedness has now caught on with me, and I can't speak either. Um, yeah, no, I have been wanting to get around to it for a while because it's meant to be one of like those iconic. Um, horror movies yeah. of like the 70s that was so influential on modern horror and just seminal and very important so yeah I did want to get around to it at some point as well yeah um, great stuff well look I think I'm gonna stick with my guns on what I said I thought your link was but I will just say um, it's interesting that the producers is the longest running musical of all time and the exorcist is the highest grossing horror movie of all times um, so I'm kind of wondering if they're like record breakers now um, but no, I think the the writer being heavily involved trope seems a bit too um, convenient. So I'm going to go with that and say that Tubular Bells is the odd one out and the link is creators that were heavily involved in subsequent iterations of their creation. Yeah, final answer. Oh, yeah, final answer. Lock in. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. Lovely stuff. That's a good link, mate. Well done. 
Thanks. Good on me for getting it, though. So that's, what, three points to me? Oof. Pretty good. I hope you get my one. Um, I really do. Anyway, so good omens. Yeah, how heavily involved was Neil Gaiman in, in this series? Because I know... He wrote, he, wrote, he wrote the script and uh, executive produced it. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of surprising to me for some reason. Why is that? Because it's not as good as the book. I mean, I haven't read the book, actually. I've got it over there on uh, on my bedside table, but I haven't read it yet. I, I imagine that that would be the case. But, I mean, even still, the, you can't help but lose certain details when you adapt something. Mm. And, I mean, you've got the fact that the late Terry Pratchett wasn't there for the screenplay, whereas he was there for the book. Yeah. Maybe. Although, um, Neil Gaiman has said a few times in relation to the adaptation of Good Omens that had Terry been involved in the making of it, it probably wouldn't have gotten made. (laughs) Because he was, uh, let's say, cranky and precise about the way things of his ought to be adapted. Yeah, have you seen any of the Terry Pratchett adaptations of the Discworld thingy? So they've done the Hogfather and the Colour of Magic and Going Postal. They've all done. I've seen bits of them. They've done them on like ITV. They're like ITV specials or something, aren't they? Mm, I think so. They're very strange and kind of don't really work, so maybe it's best that he wasn't... I don't know if he was involved in them, but from what you said, I'm guessing that he was. And, I mean, they are quite Terry Pratchett, but they just don't translate all that well, I don't think. Yeah. I'm still yet to, like, properly read Pratchett. Mm. I really ought to to do some of that. It's... I look forward to it. Well, start with Good Omens, then. That'd be nice. Yeah. I want to... I'm going to finish American Gods first. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll, and then I'll dive into uh, good omens. Lovely stuff. And and uh, why did you pick Tubular Bells this this week? Just because you still like the album, I'm guessing. I do still like the album, and it also connects to The Exorcist, in that Tubular Bells was used as the central theme for mm. The Exorcist. Mm. The um. Yeah. 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 I love Tubular Bells. I think it's great. I do remember, I did listen to it when you recommended it last, and I listened to it all the way through, and I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I, I didn't, like, pick out any tracks from it that I really liked, but I just remember listening There's to it. There's four thinking, tracks. Yeah, exactly, so it's not like... And one of the tracks is, a, is like, a comedy skit of the Sailor's Hornpipe. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's pretty cool, but, I mean, it's not. There's, there's Tubular Bells, Tubular Bells Part 2, Tubular Bells Theme... And the Sailor's Hornpipe. Yeah. I might re-listen to it, actually, just because I've, I've got it, so I might whack it on, and I think it's quite good. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've i always admired um, the the way it almost, like, moves orchestrally in such a, like... I almost said punk, but it's not. It's um, a little bit Pink Floyd in places. Hmm. In terms of like alt rock, alt stuff, yeah, it's really like, cool. Like it's, prog it, rock, yeah, pr- yeah, yeah, that's the word. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it moves. It it's like an orchestral prog rock album, and I love it. <laughs> it's really interesting. 
I might give it a re-listen because I get a point for it. So yeah, okay, interesting stuff. Good link. <laughs> you might re-listen to it so you get a point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that is what we do here, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about yours. All right. Which one do you want to tackle first? Ooh. <gasps> Brilliant. Oh, excuse me. Enthusiastic as ever, Jay. That's what I'm known for. Yeah, as well as being... Let's talk about Ed Wood. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Could you stop me there? Um, oh, sorry, what were you about to say? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just a... Just a Was it some insult or y- some sort? I'm just going to call you a massive cunt, but I don't need to do that now. So, we'll move on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ed Wood, um, as in Ed, and then Wood, like the material, by Tim Burton. Now, this is probably one of Tim Burton's lesser-known films. I feel like there's mainstream Tim Burton, or there certainly is with our generation, which is like Nightmare Before Christmas, Alice in Wonderland, Edward Scissorhands. We all go nuts for that kind of stuff. And I'm not really too sure what... I mean, I, I get it, because he's a good filmmaker, and they're unique and all that stuff. But do you, do you get that, Jay? Like, for some reason, he's kind of, like, got a certain status among our generation as being this really quirky, oddball niche director when he's really kind of not yeah I think I know what you're talking about I, I've i never really felt that way about Tim Burton I've never watched Edward Scissorhands mm. um, or Nightmare Before Christmas I don't think mm. so I've not I've not like taken in much of his media but I understand that he has almost like almost what is a cult status in a very very mainstream way yeah yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's really peculiar. Anyway, this is probably even like those that cult following um, that like him in that mainstream sort of way. They they probably brush over Ed Wood um, because immediately it's not a very Tim Burton movie. But when you watch it, it really is. So Ed Wood is basically Tim Burton. It's like a love letter to Tim Burton's favorite director, who was um, Edward Davis Jr from the 1950s, an American director who was pretty sure he's been labelled as the worst director of all time. Um, he was dreadful. He His <laughs> his, his films were um, truly awful, and we see a couple of them, or a couple kind of parodies of them in the film, and he acts like he really doesn't give a shit, but he really he's so passionate about film. But he goes, one take, that'll do. And like the set falls down, he goes, "Oh no, no, it's fine. It's part of the experience. We've got that on. You know, we've got that. Let's move on." Because he was always so low budget and so under pressure that he'd just make films for the fun of it and for the love of it, which is kind of nice. But they were, you know, really awful films. Um, so he's, it's a really interesting film about this character. And this um, Edward also had certain eccentricities, such as he would um, enjoy to cross dress as a woman. And this complicates his relationship with his wife for, for reasons that, you know, don't really make any sense when you watch it today. But, I mean, for some reason she's put off, put out by it and um, isn't really interested in him after that. But, no, he, he basically this is a, a guy who does stuff that he really enjoys and he does it for the fun of it. And you, you do love him as a character. He's portrayed by Johnny Depp really well, actually. I mean, Johnny Depp's sometimes a bit gimmicky and a bit cartoony. And I suppose he is a bit in this, but he's also really good. Um, it's in black and white for stylistic purposes, I guess. It, I mean, it's the 50s and whatever. 
Um, so that's a thing. And the character Edward is basically trying to revive his favourite actor of all time. This actor that once played Dracula in a film that he loved. And he's trying to, you know, bring this sort of forgotten actor back into the limelight. Um, but no one's interested in this one-hit wonder. And, and all, all the movies that he puts him in just flop straight away. Um, but it's about their friendship. And it's about, you know, passion and love. And it's it's a good fit. It's on Disney Plus at the moment. I didn't love it, um, to, to be honest. But it was it was interesting and it was it was okay. But I think it's one that often Tim Burton fans don't know, even though it's what's generally thought of among critics as one of his best films. Yeah, I've I've heard about Edward before, and I, it's always fascinated me. And it's it's very in keeping with this idea of of Tim Burton as a person who completely idealizes this person who makes something so terrible. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I can I can completely see why he he has this fascination with Edward. Do you know what I love yeah. though? I, I love that this is a film about a director whose films weren't really well known, and the film itself is kind of a film by a director, but a film that isn't very well known by that director. You know, I, I quite like that. Accidental, mm. but it's it's, it's, it's almost it's almost like that would be the way he wanted it to be. Yeah, I like, think it's, I, this isn't supposed to be for for a big mainstream audience. This one's for me. Yeah, it's this. for him. It's for the it's for the film. It it reminds me of like what um, David Fincher and his father did with Mank. You know, it, that was kind of just because they wanted to um, bring Mankiewicz, the screenwriter for Citizen Kane, because he wasn't credited in any of Orson Welles' films. They wanted to you know give him credit, and th- this kind of feels oh. like a similar thing. It's like a passion project, isn't it? Yeah. I've 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 heard of Bank. It came out last year, doesn't it? And I yeah, it was on Netflix, and I saw that it was a thing, and I went, ah, I don't care. And then Fair I just, enough. just turned it off. I didn't. I didn't. I, did, I just didn't watch it. I might yeah. go and watch that now, actually. What Mank or Edward? Both. All right. Well, do Edward first because you get a point for it, and I'd I'd actually argue it's probably a bit better than Mank. Okay. But I. I'm not right. huge on either of them. But okay. I think I, that's I do a risk. want to give those a look. You think mm-hmm. that's a risk that you take with passion projects is that no one is going to be as interested as the people that make it. Yeah, it's the whole thing with Treasure Planet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. They made they made Aladdin and and a couple of other really big ones like Notre Dame. I mm. think they also made and they went, "Can we please go and make Treasure Planet now?" We really want to make Treasure Planet, and they and Disney finally went, yeah, sure, go make that, whatever, and then they released it, and no one really cared. It yeah. wasn't that good, but they've <laughs> been fighting to make it for like ten years. It's, so, I you know, do find it quite play. sad. Yeah, well, that's funny. It's stuff. it's it's nice when when people are are able to make their passion project. Because yeah. it is, it, it even if it's not really that good, at least they had that like vision, that passion realized. That's still quite nice in a way. Yeah, I think it is nice from their perspective, and I suppose, you know, without these projects, I mean, I can't think of anything especially good that's come out of passion project. Well, I'm sure there is, but like, I mean, it is just a risk, isn't it, that you run 
that people aren't going to be half as interested as you think they will be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 talk about the fly next because I feel like this is this is something of a passion project for and I'm trying to remember the director's name now and it keeps escaping me, but I know he's very culty and and mainstream and weird and he also made Crash. Mm, yes, based on the Ballard book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, The Fly by um, David Cronenberg. Jay's laughing at my fly. You're, so, yeah, you're di- Jeff Goldblum. Oh, <laughs> the Fly. It's, it's a fly. Uh, we, we're going to do an experiment and uh, we, we, we're going to fuse a, fuse a human together with a fly by accident and it's all going to go horribly wrong. Uh, so yeah, that's Jeff Goldblum. So yeah, Jeff Goldblum basically. So, weirdly, that was that was not so bad. Thank you. He just, I don't know what it is with Jeff Goldblum, but he just seems to have no like sense filter. of pitch. Well, <laughs> yeah, and filter. Yeah, <laughs> totally filter. But no, he just kind of goes everywhere, like and nowhere at the same time. But yeah. So have you s- have you seen him uh, play piano, play jazz piano? No, I have not. That sounds amazing. Jeff, Jeff Goldblum is is a is a wonderful man. In- uh, he's got a Netflix. He's not on Netflix. A Disney Plus series as well. Does he? The the world. The world and oh, what is it called? Um, the world according to Jeff Goldblum or something. Oh my goodness! I need to watch that. It's it sounds incredible because it's literally just like this non-fiction documentary, following about Jeff Goldblum as he goes around like interesting things. I just love him, and I just love that now he's got to the point in his career where he just plays himself, and we all want to see it. You yeah, know. I know. I think it's a, great. the Grandmaster and Thor Ragnarok was one of the best things about the film. Yeah, so and he and he asked, um, what's his name, director guy? I can't remember. Taka Waititi. Yes, thank you. Um, about like the special special little things that the Grandmaster could do, and he played piano um, because. And for the reason that Jeff Goldblum could play piano, so Jeff Goldblum <laughs> sat down on set on a couple of times and just played a bit of jazz piano. Brilliant. Uh, as the Grandmaster, and it just it works. It really does. He's such an interesting, cool, quirky guy. I do love him. Um, but so yeah, sorry. The Fly, David Cronenberg, as you say, Jay or rather didn't say, couldn't remember. But David Cronenberg, they're kind of. He's, he's, yeah, he's got a cult following as kind of the... I think I read somewhere he's referred to as like the master of blood and gore or something like that, you know. He's he's mm. very renowned for making disturbing and horrible films. Um, not horrible in like they're bad, but like horrible in like kind of gruesome and grotesque. The Fly is one of those. So you've got Jeff Goldblum, who's a, who's a scientist, and he's experimenting with teleportation pods. So he's seeing if you can teleport, um, you know, matter from one pod to another. Um... And he's finally getting onto the human phase of the trial. And he goes into the machine himself, see if he can teleport himself across the room. Um, and a f- bloody fly gets in the machine with him, and of course it fuses them together. And the rest of the film is Jeff Goldblum slowly becoming a fly, but a big, giant fly. And it's brilliant to watch, really. I mean, I think David Cronenberg's definitely in his element with this film. I mean, it's. Right up his street, really. I feel like it was probably a book first. I think it might have been. Yeah, no, it was a book first. Can't remember who wrote it. Um, but yeah. So Jeff Goldblum slowly becomes a, a, f- a fly, and it's all done through makeup and prosthetics. So it still looks brilliant, 
today, and it's it, it it's aged really well. Um, it's <laughs> it's hilarious and kind of disturbingly funny, and um, the ending is ridiculous, but you don't care because it's. I mean, I've just told you the premise. It's it's not going to be a sensible ending. I mean, it's great. You've only got, really got three characters. You've got um, Jeff Goldblum, his um, kind of girlfriend, and the girlfriend's ex, and they are the only three characters in the film. And it's a short film. It's on Disney Plus, like Edward actually. So check it out. Um, yeah, you should definitely watch it. It's a lot of fun. I I've been wanting to get round to it for a little while now. I probably will. I mean, it's just Jeff Goldblum turning into a fly. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> he's a fly. He's a, he's a fly, and he's flying around the room. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I would very much like to watch that now. Yeah. Do. Okay. David Cronenberg's quite a sort of cult status director, isn't he? Well, I think this is the difference, I'll say, between Tim Burton's Edward and David Cronenberg's A Fly. David Cronenberg makes films like The Fly. He's in his element with The Fly. This is what the cult following expect from him. And they know of The Fly, you know. The Fly itself has a cult following. Whereas Edward's Tim Burton... Uh, Tim Burton's Edward. Um, so Tim Burton's got the cult following, but the film is quite niche for, you know, Tim Burton. So people don't really know about it. And it's not his kind of usual style. So, I mean, I think that's the main difference. But, yeah, they both have cult followings, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I Okay, see I've got I've got multiple multiple threads going on which is cult followings being on Disney Plus <laughs> and three of them start with the word the. Yeah, I did actually notice that um when I wrote them all down actually. But I haven't noticed that before. Okay. So that that's not the link then, is it? Yeah, I can rule that one out for you. The, yeah, okay. That's that's good. Um <laughs> The Lovely Bones. Yeah, The Lovely Bones. Do you know who directs this movie? No, but I know it's got Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. Uh, yes, it's got Saoirse Ronan in it. And it's directed by Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings director. Bloody hell. obscure reason that I'll never quite understand. But yeah, so Some after... strange passion project? Very, um, possibly. I'm not sure, but it's just a funny shift, isn't it? After Lord of the Rings to make a film like The Lovely Bones. Um, the weirdest thing about the film The Lovely Bones is probably just the film itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen it, Joe? Yes, we watched it in philosophy. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, of course We've we did. been talking about a lot about philosophy a lot recently. We, we have. Do you think we're both secretly missing it a bit? A little bit, yeah. Mm. Um, so It's yeah. such a strange film. <laughs> it's really weird. Um, so yeah, it's got Shersha Ronan and Mark Wahlberg in. Uh, Mark Wahlberg says his uh, dad in the film. It's got, also got Rachel Wise in, I think. And Stanley Tucci. And Stanley Tucci as the murdering pedo. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. So, Stanley Tucci basically spoils... Well, not really spoils. Murders um, Shersha Ronan. He does it in the first ten minutes. Yeah, in his weird little underground um, man cave that he's built specifically to capture mm-hmm. young girls and probably rape, and but that's not addressed, and murder them. So, yeah, he murders Saoirse Ronan. Um, but that's not the end. Saoirse Ronan then goes on this weird, kind of trippy, psychedelic, borderline avant-garde journey through a very colourful and kind of Dave McKean-esque 
afterlife with <laughs> lots of weird symbolism and moments that I never quite understood. It's very weird, isn't it? It's it's super str- I still don't quite know what happens because she she makes contact with the with the uh, living world at points from from uh, being dead. So that that's interesting. Um, and she manages to essentially save her sister who was um, being threatened by Stanley Tucci's character. And she also manages to, I think, um, spoilers, kill Stanley Tucci's character at the end. With, a, with an icicle? Via an icicle, which hits him on the head and he falls into a sinkhole. Yeah. It's really... Do you know what, though? After saying all that, I respect the Lovely Bones for being <laughs> just fucking bonkers. Um, it's... Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird, but I I like it. I kind of like it for that, even though it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, I kind of feel the same. I... Because Mark Wahlberg spends most of the film shouting at Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And Saoirse and Ronan just just dies and then trips for three hours. Yeah, it is long as well. It is a long film. Yeah, and then I don't know what else happens in the film, but I know I didn't really follow it. No. Um. Well, there's lots of stuff about photos as well and Polaroids. It's very of an era. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So it's set in the 1970s, I think. Is it some, yeah, it might be. Yeah. Or maybe the 80s. I can't remember. I suppose Polaroids. So it's probably the 80s. Yeah, probably, yeah. I honestly can't... Like you, I can't remember much about it except what we've already said. But yeah, I just find it really... Weird. I don't think many people know that it's... Like you didn't, directed by Peter Jackson. Like I didn't know until I, you know, read it somewhere. So I think it's... it's, uh, it's it kind of makes it more interesting for me. It kind of does. It's so wonderfully weird, I think. Yeah. I do... I do I d- Maybe it could have been better. I'm not going to rewatch it, I'll tell you that much. Nice, fair enough, yeah. Do, what, what were you saying? I was thinking, do you think if maybe a different director got their hands on it, on the source material, they could have done a, a better job, maybe? Say Tim Burton got his hands on it. I mean, this surely might I- have... I have no idea what the how how weird the source material is. Maybe the source material is is weirder than the film. No, it's, it's again based on a book, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, imagine that. The source material must be bonkers, actually. Or Peter yeah, Jackson probably. is one of them. I mean, Peter Jackson is might be slightly bonkers. It's yeah. entirely possible. He's he de- made he did he did make the Lord of the Rings. You've got to be bonkers yeah. to even attempt that. Yeah, and then the Hobbit into three parts. I mean, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, I, I mean the Hobbit. The Hobbit's a whole different thing. Yeah, maybe this was the start of his downhill point. I can't remember a good Peter Jackson film since Lord of the Rings. I don't know how how many he's made. He also made the Water Horse. If you remember that. I've never film. heard of that. No, fair enough. It's based on a Dick King Smith. Uh, Dick King Sming. Dick King Smith book. Um, it's about the Loch Ness monster. It's a funny one. That it's not very good. The film. Okay. Um, I'll I'll take your word for it. Yeah. So there we go. Okay. That's. Okay. Oh right. Well, I I still haven't 
got like a firm idea of what your link is. So let's talk about The Age of Innocence. And am I right in thinking this is directed by Martin Scorsese? You are right in thinking that. Yeah, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. But again, I didn't know that until it came up on the end credits. Um, because it's really not like anything he's done before. It's not like a Scorsese film in any way, shape or form. Let, it's a period drama, people. Um, this is the gangster king... And he's written... Well, he hasn't written. It's written by... Um, oh, gosh, what's her name? Edith Wharton? Yes, Edith Wharton. Brilliant. Um, it's written by Edith Wharton. It's like a period drama book. And he decided to adapt it into a film with Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder, Richard E. Grant. It's got a great cast. The cast were the best thing about it. It was dry as a bone. I watched it last night, and it was slow and boring and not much happened I mean I appreciated the acting, the acting was brilliant Daniel Day-Lewis is you know, phenomenal it came out in 93 by the way this film so they're all quite young at this point um, but my goodness is it is it a bit of a drag like all Scorsese films it's probably a bit too long for it's own good uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually know if I actively dislike Scorsese, I, I, we don't really talk about him Positively much we do sometimes. I think we're quite. Maybe we are quite. I balanced. love Goodfellas. You love Goodfellas. You you talked about another Scorsese the other day. His first film, didn't you? Mean Streets. Mean Streets. That's really good. I don't. I Shutter Island. I have a bit of time for. I quite like Shutter Island for for what I've it is. I've not seen it. Um. So I mean, I'm not against him, but this film, I'll just tell you the plot quickly. Um, Daniel Day Lewis is engaged to Winona Ryder, but then Michelle Pfeiffer comes back from Europe for, because you know back in those days people just took holidays from holidays really um, so she comes back from Europe and Daniel Dennis is there like I kissed you once and I still love you and then you know love triangle etc that is actually that is literally it that is it sounds sounds boring it is boring as fuck mate it's boring as fuck so basically Daniel Day-Lewis is just engaged to and married to Winona Ryder and kind of has a couple of very sensual kisses with Michelle Pfeiffer. It's only a you, so I thought it would be fine to watch with the family. So I put it on with the family last night. We all hated it, um, but I I thought, bloody, bloody hell, it's a bit raunchy for, for a you film. Um, I thought it was a PG. No, it's a you, it's a you. Huh. It's really weird. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, the direction is obviously good in that there's some funky camera shots and, you know, you can tell that the guy behind the camera is trying to make it more interesting almost. Um, it doesn't work and it almost feels out of place, all these kind of artsy experimental shots in a period drama that's really dry. It, The contrast kind of feels off. So... But it's quite a well-reviewed film, so I'm sure it probably is like good to some people, um, but not to not to the Cox family's liking, no. Oh dear. Yeah. Where'd Where'd you watch it? Watched it. Where? Yeah. Oh, just in the, in the living room. Did you Did you have it on Disney Plus? Uh oh no, it's on Sky Movies. This one. Ah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Cool. 
That's good. That's throwing that theory out the window. <laughs> Lovely. Thank well, you. You've only got one theory left now. I've I've got rid of the one about the I've got rid of your Disney Plus one. What was your other one? You got rid of the Disney Plus one. You got you got rid of the the one. Yeah. The the. Isn't that a band? It is a band. I, I know a couple songs by the the and and they're not too bad actually. Yeah. I've heard of the the. Anyway, the the theory is 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 incorrect. That's three thes in a row. The the theory. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah so it is. Yeah. So stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Um, anyway, so the other theory is passion projects. But now I have to figure out which one is the passion project and which one isn't. You're kind of along the right lines, but I can tell you, I think I think my link is quite um, subjective almost. So I will kind of tell you that it's not passion projects, but you're on, along the right lines with kind of the stuff that you've been saying and that you know. Well, so we've about. been so we've been talking about cult, sort of cult following directors, um, and or like Tim Burton is mainstream, but with a cult following. Martin Scorsese is mainstream. Peter Jackson is mainstream. Um, David Cronenberg is not mainstream. He's sort of revered, but not mainstream. Mm. So that that gives me and and The Age of Innocence, Edward, and The Lovely Bones are all like the most niche films of really mainstream directors. Whereas The Fly is probably the most mainstream film of a not mainstream director. Mm. So yeah. I'm going to say the odd one out is The Fly. You'd be correct. And sort of use the use the words of the link that I just sort of spieled. Yeah, so you're basically, if I can summarise what you think the link is, you think it's... So, so the link is a niche films by mainstream directors... And The Fly is the odd one out because it's a mainstream film by a niche director. Perfect. Perfecto, yes. Niche films by mainstream directors that you probably wouldn't expect from that director. Yeah, is the extra caveat. But you didn't need that. You got it. Yes, well done. Yeah. Nice. We're both on three points. Okay, so that was Connecting Vague Dots. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed our film recommendations. Do check them out. We've given you some of the platforms where they are available. So if you want new movies, new music, new books, this is a podcast to come to. We will give you new recommendations. And people that recommend you films, books, and music are important to your life. So, with that in mind, happy watching, happy viewing, happy listening, happy reading. Goodbye from me. Seth, that was that was almost quite good actually. 